Hello and welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing rather well. I'm doing rather well. I was called away working remotely today. Uh, so mm-hmm. we are not live for our usual GTA audience, but everybody else, uh, it's same old us. I'm glad we're pre-recording because of the Rogers shut down yes, the <laughs> yeah we may uh we may lose signal you know it was funny because during it i don't know if uh we don't have a huge amount of live programming right now but uh, uh during it i was a, a little bit flip up and like ha 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 you know these radio stations we're not going to go off the air uh, did you know a cbc station i think it was in kitchener did go off the air oh like they must have been running their network through rogers like mm-hmm. to, to broadcast and uh, they got knocked off the air uh, where were you in the great Rogers blackout of uh, 2020? I mean, I was just at home. I thought my router was broken. I uh, I was like uh, uh, troubleshooting. And then, uh, as you know, I don't pay for data because if I'm not at home, I don't want you to talk to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm either out doing something interesting or I'm on my way to somewhere with Wi-Fi. And I don't like getting bothered when I'm in transit. So, I mean, there's just all around. There's no reason for me to, to pay the extra. But I do have like a gig or something. So I like turned it on just briefly to send an email to be like, my router's broken. I'll see you on Monday. Uh, and then, yeah, no, I found out much later that, uh, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't so just you. I was amused by all of the tweets coming out being like, I thought I just hadn't paid the bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, anyway, um, I'm sure everyone listening has uh, been talking about the Rogers Blackout for a while. Yeah. So if you do ever miss anything when we have things that are worth saying, uh, which is nearly every week. We've got some amazing interviews the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always find us. I think the easiest way to find us is on Spotify, Can Queer, C A N Q U W R, Can Queer. And uh, we're, we're sort of splattered all over the place in terms of social media. I am not very good at doing, like, actually doing the social. I mean, I say doing the social media, I sound yeah. about 100 years old. I mean, as in putting in the time and effort to actually yeah. be interacting. Yeah, and yeah. You're not very good, but you're still a hundred times better than I am because yeah, I'm you don't, you don't even, horrible at social you know, media. Exactly. Yeah. When you we talk about Twitter, you think we're bird watching. Like it's a whole. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not. Whole it's thing. not that. It, it's my instinct is why do I care about the opinions of strangers? And then the answer is, oh yeah, I should be promoting the show. And it's always like it's that one, two punch every single time. And I keep reminding myself like, no, I really should be promoting the show. But then it's just the, cause I'm not doing this for my personal social media. It's for the show's social media, which is anyway, it's a different conversation. It's a whole thing. Now yeah. I want to talk about something much more interesting than us, much, much more interesting than us. And that is Antigonish Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I am pretty confident that I got Antigonish correct. I've uh, only ever heard it pronounced that way. So if, if it's pronounced another way, I don't know about that either. We are both okay. Yeah. Written down. It's like one of those words where you're like a Ferrari, um, you know, but uh, in Antigonish, uh, they had, uh, let me, let me set the scene for you. Yeah. There's this nice long road just yeah. to the left of it is, you know, some trees, a tall fence, but there is a, a much lower fence, like a guardrail fence that runs alongside this nice, beautiful path. Mm-hmm. Uh, up up um, one of the main streets. Now, the local mayor, Laurie Bosher in uh, in Antigonish, and mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Murray, a openly gay town councillor, were walking back 
from a an event that happened nearby, a sort of gay pride event just uh, recently last week, mm-hmm. and talking about how can we be more active, you know, throughout the year, not just uh, just this thing. You know, it's important to have symbolism. And as they're walking along this beautiful path with the trees and this long uh, gray white guardrail the whole length, it occurred mm-hmm. to them that would make a very good uh, rainbow guardrail. And they're painting this 50-foot guardrail uh, along this street in, in Antigonish uh, into a rainbow, uh, well, yeah, literally a rainbow. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, uh, indigo, violet. Hmm. Um, I think I, it's either indigo or blue. I always forget. Whatever Roy G. Biv is, it's that one. So they're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're just building this beautiful, uh, beautiful. Uh, Although know, the rainbow, rainbow flag is is a little bit different. Like it's uh, it's not indigo. Or violet, it is purple. Lavender. Yeah. I came into purple? a disagreement with my mother over the inclusion of pink. And I'm like, pink's not in pink's not in like the common gay rainbow. I mean, it is now when it comes to the inclusion of it the was originally flag. when it had eight stripes instead of seven. Oh, this is true. It was the yeah. the, the forgotten eight stripe is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is what happened to that one. Anyway, I think it is neat. The idea was presented <laughs> to uh, council. It was unanimously approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is lots of stuff that happens in Antigonish, uh, Nova Scotia, and people are pretty chill about it. Mm-hmm. They're not responding to a hate crime. We see a lot of these things happen where there's a hate crime and they're outpouring mm-hmm. support. They're not responding to a hate crime. They're not responding to, to something negative. They just took a lovely walk, realized there's a remarkably boring guardrail, mm-hmm. and thought, you know what would be nice? The symbolism of barriers and so on, but kind of overcoming it. I mean, you would take a large step and you could overcome this guardrail. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was pleasant. So for you people probably shouldn't though. You can see it. Guardrails are there for a reason, so that's probably a barrier you should not try to overcome. <laughs> I thought you were talking about not painting it. <laughs> No, <laughs> I was <laughs> like actively overcoming. There's barriers. probably like a 15 foot drop or something on the other side. Like I, I don't know what that guardrail is there for, but it, it's probably there for your safety. So, it's serving. You know. It's serving a, a yeah, yeah. purpose. Yeah. Don't cross that barrier. Choose another the, barrier. The metaphorical <laughs> barrier of a, of a guardrail. We recommend everybody listening to please follow guardrails for their intended purposes. Um, Interesting is we talked a little while ago, I think it was PEI Pride. It was one of the prides that was having uh, a bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, PEI Pride this year, uh, would t- you know, took place, I think, in, or does take place later in July. Uh, where are we now? Yep. So it is later in July, July 16th to the 24th. And their focus now seems to be a lot more around promoting diverse communities, mm-hmm. even in PEI. There is diversity, and uh, you know, they have, a lot of different people live there. Yeah, they have a reputation of having like seventy people, sixty-eight of whom are as white as mashed potatoes. And um, the other, the other ten are mashed potatoes. Well, it'd be the other two, uh, but it, it's it's that's an exaggeration, <laughs> and you know times change. It, it's 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 not the nineteen thirties anymore. Like this is not mm. Anne of Green Gables PEI. There is diversity there. So and it there does has make been sense. for generations, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, that's the one thing, you know, PEI, much like the rest of Eastern Canada, mm-hmm. has had a fair bit of migration through it in, oh, yeah. in the last hundred and, or two years. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's only... A lot yeah. of uh, uh, black settlers from the Underground Railroad as well on the East Coast. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know I, how many of them made their way to PEI, but we'll we'll see. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Their focus is pivoting essentially to creating uh, community, small, smaller community events. Mm-hmm. I disagree a little bit around their centering of uh, the Stonewall riots, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I just, I want people in PEI to talk about the origins of pride in PEI. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. And I want the people in, in Vancouver to talk about the queer history of pride in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And likewise, any other town and village and, and city across this country, it's about, it's about acknowledging and, and empowering our uniquely Canadian history and context. Yes. Because there were mistakes. There were challenges. There were oh, hate yeah. crimes. There was yep. extreme violence. There was government negligence. There was mm-hmm. active government persecution. You know, mm-hmm. there is a messy, uh, painful history to the LGBT community in Canada. And I think if we keep talking about Stonewall, we're not talking about our own shameful past. Uh, that we've thankfully overcome in many, many ways. One of my favorite uh, Canadian stories about uh, weird government overstepping. And the reason why I love the story so much is because it's it's a giant question mark of really? And that was the Little Sisters bookstore in Vancouver. And they were a, a lesbian bookstore. And they had a shipment of books seized uh, because it was declared perverted. And when you actually looked into the manifest, it was all like Curious George. It was like children's books and like general like winnie the pooh type of of children's books as well uh but it was just that because in the past they also received shipments of dildos so they just grabbed a box that was destined to the little sisters and said everything in here is perverse and they never even looked at the manifest and then it sparked this whole thing about government overreach and late 90s i think that that all happened such a weird story and although it happened in vancouver it's really kind of a federal story because it was all about the, uh, the cross-border shipping. Little stories like that, they're, they're really interesting as you learn about them and you learn how Canada had such a weird relationship with, with federal overreach on a lot of issues and how we sort of slowly woke up to the fact that, you know, we lived with a, a state that was doing weird stuff to people for decades mm. Well, um, let's be let's be serious here. We're talking. It's it, at that point it wasn't overreach insofar as it's the post. Post is a federal responsibility, hmm? and uh, you know, so that that makes sense. It was well within the constitutional, you know. It, it wasn't the post, though. It was the. But maybe oh, it was the moral policing that is really the the, uh, the issue here. What were they called? The the cross border people. The 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 imports imports. Oh, I see. What you're talking that stuff. About. It, it was that organization. I can't remember the name. Oh, there's so many ministries. But anyway, it was it was it was those people who who stopped it at the, the border because they were shipping it in from Seattle. So mm. the Curious George coming in from Seattle was declared a dildo uh, by the feds. Uh, that that's the short version. <laughs> the of short one... and sweet of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. All right. Well, we'll 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 keep an eye on that story for. Well, I mean, it's long long since happened now. But yeah, yeah. I think I think it's important that we we acknowledge and empower ourselves. And this is a great initiative in PEI, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on the community that's there. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how it evolves. This is one of the few prides that are happening outside of last June, mm-hmm. um, but they do happen in cities other than Toronto. Oh, yes. Um, 1.5 million people went to London Pride oh. in the UK. Oh, okay. <laughs> which I believe would make it 
I mean, I don't think 1.5 million people could fit in London, Ontario. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know that's I mean? why I, I was so alarmed. Yeah. That's that's a lot of people in in a relatively small town. Oh. But uh, no, 1.5 million people in London in the UK. Now, just for context, the big Toronto World Pride Pride also mm. had 1.5 million people, mm. and that was a major international tourist uh, event for mm-hmm. World Pride. So this is huge numbers in London in the UK. It was yep. definitely one of the biggest prides uh, in the world this season so far, um, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. So massive, massive numbers of people. I have a bit of a rock craving today for uh, the music genre. And <laughs> I wanted to start off I was, not, I was just, like, not just like bits of stone. You know, what? I really like a small collection of pebbles. That would do I nicely. thought you were talking about campy movies starring the oh, former I wrestler. See. Yeah. Oh, as in Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, see, <laughs> I do like movies by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Or maybe the hard candy that's just like a pulled sugar, like rocks, lolly. Anyway. Or the, the Scottish candy that tastes like chalk and you hate it, but you just you keep eating more for some reason. I can't remember what you it's called. You might be thinking about the same thing. The, yeah, this is called rock. The Scottish thing that tastes like chalk but it's weirdly lovely we won't, we're not talking about the same thing no I mean, no no but you know, way, if, we'll if you it. complain about it to scott and you're like i hate it but i can't stop eating it they'd be like yeah no that's that's our national pastime it's it's acknowledged there that you're allowed to hate it but also love it at the same time like haggis haggis is wonderful but anyway so this is rock is my rock by the i mean it's a great name uh by the incredible band partner we do enjoy partner and some of their uh some of their great tracks uh this is rock is my rock uh they're talking about what kind of rock uh they rock out to Mm -hmm. and we will be back just after Cause you gotta be honest all the time So it's gotta be true and also has to rhyme But I don't care if it's on the way to the top I'm gonna get there cause rock is my rock 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 The guy we met in Cleveland and his brother too Rock is their rock, I bet they tell you And just his dad and some on TV Rock is a rock, as you can see Oh, rock is my rock I hope I'm still rockin' I'm rockin' with you guys Rock's my rock Rock's my rock Rock's my rock Rock's my rock Rock is my rock I wouldn't want to Imagine a world without rock
and welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm still Sebastian. You are still Sebastian. Yeah. Now, just before the show, we were talking about uh, some lovely pride uh, guardrails in Antigonish. But mm-hmm. now I'm going to talk about G-A-Y Gay, the one of the nightclubs in, uh, in London, uh, along with Heaven, caused a bit of a stir recently. Um, regarding potentially this major landmark pub, gay pub in in Soho in London, mm-hmm. uh, potentially closing. Okay. So we've talked before on the show about how they were trying to find uh, an appropriate buyer, hopefully somebody in the community, ideally, mm-hmm. um, sort of, you know, so folks that understand the audience. Uh, Jeremy Joseph, uh, who owns and runs the bar, uh, has essentially said that uh, the, there is a plan in place and uh, actually, I've got the statement here. I wanted to get pride out of the way before announcing anything. But as you are aware, I closed the venues a couple of weeks ago to decide what I wanted for my future and the future of GAY mm-hmm. and heaven. I think in my heart, I know what I want and will announce soon. But first, I want to discuss it with managers and key people rather than them seeing it on social media. I want to thank some people who have been extremely supportive in coming to this decision. And I think and hope people will be excited for what the future holds. Now, I think the reason why this is so big is because of the role that G-A-Y or gay uh, plays in the community in London. Mm-hmm. And that's context because there is another major bar, this time in New York, yep. uh, which is causing uh, significant uh, ripples and uh, and uh, news stories, including a court case. A brouhaha. There has been a brouhaha, as, <laughs> as they say. Yes, absolutely, there was a brouhaha. So you've looked into this a little bit. We're referring to the Q bar. Yes. Uh, however, there was a, uh, they may be, you folks may know them by their, uh, their, their legal name, Bar Fluid LLC. Um, and essentially it was a combination between three investors or two investors that brought on somebody who is quite well connected and known in the gay bar scene mm-hmm. um, to launch Q uh, with a fair bit of fanfare. So, you know, it is alleged that Frankie Sharp, I believe, and was able to secure uh, significant celebrity investment. Now, Ooh. some of our listeners may be aware of Jake Shears, the frontman for the Scissor Sisters, mm-hmm. and then Billy Porter, who is you know a massive rising star in Hollywood. In terms of you, to see him, you recognize him. Yeah, I know the name. He wore a ball gown to a red carpet relatively recently. I mean, so did Matt Stone and Trey Parker. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie Carver was also an investor, as well as Zachary Quinto. Uh, okay, also yeah. invested. So I mean, these are these are the the, the homo elite of New York, okay. you know, celebrities, high high powered, the high powered gay gay folks. Mm-hmm. But they all invested ostensibly for the idea that this would be a large queer owned business that's really designed to be the next thing that you know exists in and for the community there. Mm-hmm. So that was the. That was the dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I'm giving away too much when I say that when there's a court case involved, the reality may not have you know, matched up. So what was your reading of what is a seismic event in New York? 
So the actual events, as I was reading it more and more, all I could think was this reads like a satire that someone in the gay community wrote about the gay community. It's the kind of thing that like, you know, even if uh, if you were to see some kind of like PSA by somebody who hates gays and they wanted to like over dramatize us, they still wouldn't get it quite as bad as this. Um, but it was basically a, a bunch of bar owners who were saying we need to get the right people in the bar. Uh, we need to get and, and to be fair, every bar owner says that to some degree. They want a certain atmosphere. They want a certain clientele. They want the bar to have a certain tone. They want it to be a party place. They want it to be dancing. They want it to be down tempo. They want it to be business people, something. There, there's some market that you're trying to tap into. And that's totally fair. But the right way you say it is, this is our key demographic. The wrong way you say it is, we don't want, like we want more Latino people here, but the regular Latino, not those awful Latino types, which is an actual quote apparently yeah, from the, yeah. the owner of this bar. So one of the owners, I'm just going to make sure we quote that correctly because I don't want to get into any kind of trouble here in the court documents that we have been able to uh, find through uh, instinct magazine. Uh, there is a quote for Pikers, one of the owners essentially saying, make sure your Latin nights are the good kind of Latins, not Latinos. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a, a racial slur, but uh, if it's just a, a, an epithet, it's, it's very hard to say. But we are quoting mm. directly here from uh, allegations made in the court case against the co-owners of the Q bar in New York City. Absolutely. And as much as on the tin, uh, it's advertised as being... Uh, diverse and open doors and, and welcoming and really for the, the queer community. Um, really, when you get down to it, it's trying to attract gay men. And then really, really, when you get down to it, you hear the conversations that are happening behind closed doors. What they're especially looking for is traditionally masculine, very attractive white twinks. Now, with money, with money, with money. Yeah. Now I mean, it's a business. Yeah, it is a business. And to be I don't want to say to be fair, uh, to, to be realistic about it, traditionally masculine, attractive white twinks uh, are the ladies' night of the gay community. If you get that demographic in, other people, by and large, will come. You'll, you'll see some people go into a gay bar and be like, oh, is that kind of gay bar? And then they will leave and go down the street. Um, but if you want a gay bar that attracts people who are willing to spend $22 on a single martini, you want that demographic in there to show off that this is the kind of bar that you are. It's kind of cruel and horrible, but it's it's how the community's been for yeah. a while. I'm I not think, saying that, by the way, as an endorsement. I'm saying that as no, a No, I, I agree. <laughs> I think we can be critical, yeah. very critical on... Uh, homosexual beauty standards that you know you know typify and really sort of focus on young gay men of a certain yeah. age, typically white, six pack yeah. abs. It, it is an unrealistic and often unattainable beauty standard that leads to anorexia, bigorexia. It, you know, it, it it leads to depression in our community. It's not healthy. Apart from all that, apart from all that, let's say this bar was in Ohio. I would yeah, say the same the same overarching cultural motivations still exist. Yeah. Well, yeah no, but uh, if you are in Ohio, which has some of the lowest diverse population in the United States, this attitude would be still horrible, but it would make sense. This bar is in Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like having that attitude in Hell's Kitchen is just bizarre. 
it is so bizarre. It, it's like, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but years ago I was at a house party in, in Toronto and I realized that everybody there was white. And I was just like, what? How do you have a that house is, party That in is Toronto? unusual. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it felt so weird. It felt so weird. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's, the context makes it worse. Like the fact that these words came out of their mouth, it's not great. It's kind of the business. I wish there were a way to go about it, which is less horrible. Um, I'm not in the business, so I haven't fought long and hard about how to make that happen. But in Hell's Kitchen, you should not even have that attitude, let alone say those words in that way. Because like Hell's Kitchen is one of the more diverse parts of one of the more diverse cities in one of the more diverse countries in the world. Like that's peak diversity, Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Now, I want to just exemplify this. We are going to be quoting directly from the allegations made in this court document. Um, It was made at the the, uh, Supreme Court or or the Superior Court in uh, the state of New York. One of the allegations being made that Pikus, the uh, essentially the promoter and Mm -hmm. co-owner, had said about making Q, uh, quote, comfortable for white twinks, end quote, or, uh, quote, don't alienate the white boys, end quote. And additionally went on to say somebody who was, uh, you know, uh, interviewing to be the bar manager, uh, quote, I don't need to break my back to hire people just because they're black or trans end quote so really it's it's just the weird thing about that quote again on on manhattan island anywhere on manhattan island you don't have to break your back to hire diversity because they're going to walk through your door anyway if you if you need five bartenders and you get 20 people showing up to to interview and you you have to pick the five best chances of that five best all being any one group is slim to none because you're mm-hmm. in Manhattan. Like, all you have to do is hire for competence, and diversity just comes with it in Manhattan. Like, th- there is no breaking your back. It, it's just such a bizarre. Adi- I mean, again, if you're in Ohio and you want to have that, that you want to make sure that you have diversity, you're like, well, now we have to go find, you know, a black bartender or something. Like, it, it's, it's a very different beast if, if you're out in the middle of the countryside than if you're in Manhattan. It's so mm-hmm. weird. So just to be clear here to our listeners, I mean, we are not in the state of New York. We're not, no. we're not in New York, you know, and that, but I think what this bar speaks to is the roles that in the gay community, some of our very few and limited institutions where we can gather physically in place mm-hmm. uh, in a space that is predominantly lesbian or gay or, or what have you. Um, they play an outsized role in our community in the cultural context. Yeah. With that being said, when there is this promise of a space that is widely received by celebrities mm-hmm. whom I would trust, if I knew Zachary Quinto put his money in a bar, I would choose that one over any other bar on that street. You know what I mean? There's a credibility to some of these LGBT uh, leaders in terms of, uh, at least in, in the Hollywood uh, grouping. But to find out that not only was the promoter and part owner here accused of such blatant racial rhetoric Mm -hmm. but to have you know that wasn't the only thing there was allegations of this bar as a direct consequence of instructions made by the owners uh, allegedly Mm -hmm. that there was now a uh, significant increase in underage drinking uh, Mm -hmm. at this bar compared to others Um, and to read another quote here when confronting their security the the co-owner promoter said and i quote I'm going to read Edwin, the head of security, the riot act. They're taking our boys GHB away. Now, for those who aren't familiar, 
uh, GHB is a, a bit of a party drug. It can yeah. be used uh, in a similar way to, you know, roofies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is illegal. Yes. Frankly, it is illegal. It is disproportionately popular in the gay community, but yep. it is uh, it is an illegal drug. And it and can in, be very, uh, you know, very, very serious. In the UK, Queer as Folk, I don't, if you recall, there was a character who OD'd on GHB in like episode five or something. It was a miniseries, so there's only, I think, 80 episodes. But... Uh, when I was in Hamilton, there was a bar like this, and it would get shut down and reopened under a different name, under a different corporation name, every nine months or so. And it was just every so often you would go, the doors would be locked, and you knew that they were doing the paperwork shuffle because they got caught with underage drinkers in there again. And you knew their, their doors would be open again in a month and a half. Now, this was when I was uh, a young man going to the parties, and uh, uh, it was about 20 years ago, so you calculate that in your head if you want you really uh, dated yourself that yeah i know but you know whatever um you and know, it was I've been to i yeah yeah sorry finish so yeah. bars like that are, are kind of trashy like the only reason why we went was because the best drag queen in town performed there mm-hmm. if it weren't for that we wouldn't have gone we would have gone i think that's what part of the damage here is is that it wasn't how the reality was being executed Mm-hmm. didn't stand up to what it was being sold as to, yeah. to the community. You know, yeah, one yeah. of the things that jumps out at me is I have been in gay bars where everyone's a bit close, everyone's a bit hot and steamy, yeah, but there yeah. were allegations that the the, the workers in the, in the bar, there's about 100 people that work in this bar, it's a three-story building, I believe, mm-hmm. that they would report or complain that one of the co-owners, this same individual I quoted throughout, um, was having intimate relations. I'm going to just say that intimate relations mm-hmm. with customers in the building. Yeah, but when yeah. you consider it's a workplace, you have your boss having intimate relations adjacent to you in your workspace. By no measure anywhere ever would that be appropriate. And the complaint essentially escalated, and uh, the other, the director that brought this legal action. Uh, was essentially given an ultimatum of walk or we'll fire you because this is not being addressed. Like, you know, there's a refusal to address this essentially from what we can see. It's, I'm not saying that it's okay, but it's very common in the bar scene. So the bar where I worked, I was very lucky that my boss took care of us and he was like, none of that happens. And also uh, where I worked, there's only ever one bartender on shift at a time anyway. Like we we had a maximum capacity of like 50 people. The only time we had more than one bartender there was at New Year's. But so it would be impossible to do that because people would be banging on the door saying, I want my beer like that. There, there was no time to do that. Um, but again, all the other bars in town definitely had a reputation for that, for, you know, that there's the back room and then there's the back room behind the back room. And sometimes the bartenders would be in there trying to change the kegs and they would overhear stuff and they would go, Jim, what are you doing? I don't need to hear that. Well, you know? I mean, I think. There has also been an evolution in what is acceptable, even in some of these queer spaces. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that what was acceptable 20 years ago is just frankly not acceptable now. Uh, it wasn't even acceptable 20 years ago. It was just... Well, it's it's not it was being... tolerated not being and ignored. Tolerated now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the gist here is that there is almost... This is... 
really airing significant dirty laundry. We all yeah. know in you know in, in our towns and communities, there's that one dodgy bar where yeah. maybe it's a front for something, or you know you can get certain types of company there, or you know whatever. We all we all are aware of where some of these establishments are. The kind of bar but, that needs Patrick Swayze. The, sure, sure. We'll go. We'll go with that. Um, but I it's think a this has is reference, but... okay. This yeah. is uh, <laughs> this is, I think, a conversation around really holding what would be a community go to accountable yeah. to to what they're talking about. All right, let's think a little bit more about this. But we're going to jump to the Soviet influence, not actual Soviets, uh, the Soviet influence. And uh, this is Oh Not Tonight, another rap track, uh, very, very kind of into that vibe at the moment. This is from the Common Intern Record Collective, and we will be back just after this. Welcome back. My name is Stilik Smith. And I'm Sebastian. 
Now, just before the show, we were talking about Q, a bar in the New York scene that sort of reinvented the bar scene after the pandemic closed everything, but now is having a reinvention brought through the courts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very serious allegations of facilitating essentially underage drinking, uh, making measures to make it easier to bring illicit drugs into the bar. And uh, allegations of sexual conduct on the premises, mm-hmm. um, as well as essentially uh, the, the real crux of it is uh, one of the co-owners and uh, managers was effectively hired through a clause that he claims uh, was not made clear to him. It's a contract dispute. Primarily, it's a contract dispute. Okay. Um, but you know what I mean? And like that that's seriously what it is. Once you get past the drama of this, this, the context of uh, this being a pivotal gay bar in New York, mm-hmm. it is fundamentally a contract dispute. I did want to offer the insight offered by Bob Fluitt, who is uh, the managing agent for the Q bar, and mm-hmm. um, the statement that was issued to Instinct Magazine, who has broken the story. Okay. Uh, Fluid went on to say to the folks at Instinct Magazine, and I'll quote here in part, there are a lot of false allegations that are being made, and I didn't know where from until I found out where from. I obviously did all of my legwork to make sure that nothing is real, which it isn't. Mm-hmm. I still love Frankie and consider him a friend. They go on to say, I needed to protect the hundreds of people that work at Q. Q is an amazing venue. And it's not just a club to us. We call it the, the Q for a reason. Alan and I spent two years looking for a place. And it's important that I protect everyone that works here, all the talent. And well over 100 people a week work for us. The venue has been the uh, has to be the priority and what it stands for and what it means to the people in the community. Sometimes you just have to make tough decisions. And that is really what it comes down to. Essentially, I believe this is Bob Fluitt uh, defending his decision to uh, effectively fire uh, Frank, uh, Frank or Frankie. Um, mm-hmm. But what irks me here is that reference to, you know, it has to, we have to defend what it stands for and what it means to the people in the community. The allegation mm-hmm. is that this bar is not standing up to the expectations of the community as a safe place, mm-hmm. as a safe, that's not place that's not being actively racist, mm-hmm. um, you know, as mm-hmm. a place where there isn't illegal activity going on. Um, you know, maybe that's too much to expect of a bar in New York, but that's, uh, that's where we're Well, at. I mean, uh... To be a little bit sympathetic to the bar owners, a lot of bars shut down because the customers ruin it for for everyone. Like how many events or parties or bars or whatever has there been that get shut down because a drug dealer showed up and the you can only filter out so many people. And then, I don't know, an event happens there or something. Like there, there are many, many, many events that have been ruined because... Some people show up, they get a little bit too drunk, they swing off the chandeliers, the chandelier gets torn out of the ceiling, and then they have a $10,000 electric bill to, to, not electric bill, electrician's bill to repair it. Like, sometimes it is the customer's fault. This is not that instance, to be fair. Um, but it, it is an issue, the, the sort of push and pull between uh, what the community often wants from a club space is a place where they can go and have a good time and do whatever they want. Sometimes that steps over the line. What the bar owner wants is they want your money and they also want it to still be open next week. So they they can do some interesting stuff with 
you know, like making it a safer space is actually good for the long term. This makes it into a bar that will still be a business in two years time because you're not getting busted for underage drinking or drug dealing or something like that. But also uh, when you make it a safer space, again, you don't have to deal with broken toilets all the time because drunk people go crazy in the bathroom when no one else is there, like kicking stuff like it's. The bar scene is nuts. Movies are not exaggerating when they show drunk people doing crazy things in, in public restrooms. Um, so there is sort of a push and pull uh, between people wanting, you know, the, the, the customers wanting it a certain way, the bar owners wanting it a certain way. In this case, again, I can understand that fundamentally, like they're, they're renting property on Manhattan Island, which is incredibly expensive. So it needs to be a successful business. But if it's successful enough to have 100 employees in a bar like Europe, pretty big club so i mean it's i think it's there's a push and pull and they just got the wrong person in there who grotesquely uh, uh misassessed what he had yeah. to do there's an allegation here that of, yeah of this significant uh uh, behavior that was that is uh, not acceptable. I yeah. mean, it's worth noting. I mentioned earlier this is essentially a contract dispute. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the um, there's an allegation that investors were not paid back, despite, uh, according to the court documentation, this bar having made five million in the first year. It's not a small Ooh. operation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think as we are living in our other community, in our own communities outside of, you know, the great, uh, the big apple, um, mm-hmm. it's worth considering about the places where we choose to go. And are we permitting our own activity to get out of hand, the activity of our friends to get out of hand? Is there a any kind of accountability to bar owners and, and folks in our own communities? Mm-hmm. Essentially, is what's happening here happening at smaller scale? Uh, in the cities and towns that we go to, it's worth uh, worth considering. Now, I want to move on a little bit to some good news, and that is that the High Court of Antigua and Barbuda have ruled that laws against, and I quote here, buggery, end quote, and serious indecency were discriminatory towards the LGBTQ plus uh, people. As a result, sections 12 and 15 of the Sexual Offences Act 1995, which in Antigua and Barbuda, uh, Barbuda uh, which are essentially the laws from uh, the British colonial era. Uh, Britain has a lot to answer for in terms of its uh, archaic laws imposed on communities uh, all around the world as a direct consequence of their colonial action, um, essentially claiming spaces, imposing, at the time, British moral values. Uh Um, But in many communities, such as Antigua and Barbuda, there hadn't been a uh, a significant change in the legal structure after British rule uh-huh. to remove those. So it is definitely worth celebrating the fact that this old artifact of British colonialism in Artiga and Barbuda have essentially been swept away uh-huh. um, and now better reflects the people of Antigua and Barbuda. It's oh. good news. Yeah, it is. It is great news. Have you heard about Slovenia? I have not heard about the Slovenia, but before we move to Slovenia, I wanted to mention a bill that Lord Michael Cashman in the British House of Lords is introducing. And uh, it directly relates to Antigua and Bermuda in that his 
law will essentially move to the six overseas territories, which is uh, places that are still, beggars belief, are still under a degree of British rule, and that is Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, Anguilla, the British Virgin Islands, Montserrat, and Turks and Caicos Islands. Uh, essentially, uh, because it's already they're already ostensibly under British uh, uh, authority, mm-hmm. would introduce civil marriage and same-sex marriage to those overseas territories. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about a lot of colonial uh, uh, small territories in in the middle in, in the Caribbean in particular uh, mm-hmm. would often just defer to legislation that was introduced by the colonial powers, even mm-hmm. though Britain, France, Germany, Holland, um, sorry, the Netherlands have all long since, you know, you know, opened up their rights and and introduced yep. uh, equity legislation. The hangovers of their colonial laws do exist in many countries around the world. Uh, so this is this is big news. This is big news for those communities. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I've seen British politicians. I, I say British uh, English because the Scots and Irish are, are not into this line of thinking. But a lot of them are like, well, you know, we're not you're not our colonies anymore. You're in charge of yourselves. You can do whatever you want, which in a way is true, but not on paper. Like on paper, it's more complicated than that. I see what they're trying to say. It's kind of weirdly ignorant about the, the fine print about the relationship between a lot of these former colonies uh, and the UK. Uh, Slovenia, incidentally, went through a very similar thing. It's a pretty short story. It's just two days ago at time of recording, so on the the 9th. Um, uh, They legalized same-sex marriage and adoption. Uh, And it was just the high courts basically said you cannot prevent people from getting married or adopting based on their sex. And it was pretty simple. But the, the bigger story to come out of this is the fact that Slovenia is a... Um, very traditional Christian country with very strong Catholic ties. And a lot of people are kind of looking at them saying, how could they could pull it off, but Italy can't? Like it was, uh, for some reason, people keep specifically pointing to Italy saying, why them, but not you? Um, well, it's worth noting that Italy, Italy has one of the world's most developed economies. Mm-hmm. It is a member of the European Union and all of the legal uh, infrastructure at the EU level. Yeah. However, does not have a vast array of equity legislation. Mm-hmm. So it is more that there is discrimination from the gray area of lack of clarity yeah yeah, because there's no rule against it yeah i can do it yeah and uh you know there's no rule saying you can do it but there's no rule saying you can't do it in this case it's often various forms of discrimination i believe employment law is not overly protected there's like a lot of little things where canada has built up a catalog of court cases and legislation Mm -hmm. uh, in italy that's broadly missing Um, and the vatican i believe last year or the year before actively uh, campaigned against uh, some legislation in Italy uh, that would have helped to uh, to equalize LGBT. Polling in Italy, Italy is now at the stage of LGBTQ acceptance where they're basically at the, eh, it's not my life, you do whatever you want. They're at that stage of acceptance where they're not really for it, they're not really against it, they're really just sort of like, oh, it's your business, do what you want. So if they did legalize it, most people would be indifferent. Um very few people are truly against it there. Most people are like, eh, it doesn't feel right to me, but I'm not going to stop you. Like they're at that yeah. that period of acceptance. 
it really mm-hmm. does seem to be like you know the five stages of acceptance and like sta- stage the ambivalence is, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, is one of them yeah exactly <laughs> all right well last uh, good news story of the day sticking international the united nations human rights council uh, which we normally talk about when we are aghast that uh, chronic human rights abusers are on said human rights council. That being said, they have recently passed four resolutions, including extending the mandate of the independent expert on the protection from violence and discrimination related to sexual orientation and gender identity to uh, for three years. So periodically, this independent expert that works on behalf of the UN um, their, their contract is renewed, essentially, mm-hmm. is the gist of it. And this large group of folks have to vote to, uh, to approve it. Um, it was uh, 23 votes in favor, uh, 17 against, and uh, I believe uh, seven abstentions. I'm just looking here to see if Canada was uh, one of the voting members. And do not believe that we're on the Human Rights Council right now. Um, voting against it, though, notably China, mm-hmm. uh, not keen on renewing this independent expert. A few countries in Africa, including Eritrea, Gabon, uh, Gambia, uh, surprisingly, also, we saw Indonesia voting against it, as well as Malaysia and Senegal, as well as Pakistan. Uh, but voting in favor was the United Kingdom, the United States, um, others like Venezuela, Germany, the Czech Republic, uh, Brazil, Argentina, France, Finland, great coalition of uh, stations from all uh, not station, uh, countries from all over the world voting to approve this. I believe... Uh, there was an additional resolution essentially strongly encouraging uh, countries to not have legislation that uh, incites violence, to, to repeal laws and policies that discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity, and uh, to actually take measures to stop that from happening. Yeah. So great news out of the UN with the Human Rights Council appearing to, uh, to be, uh, again, taking its work a little bit more seriously. We are done for today, today. Yes. And uh, we are playing out with a, it's not, it's not rock, it's rap. Uh, it's alternative rap. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Lonely Road. It's featuring Dark Notice and Jin Sexsmith. Uh, this is by uh, J9, um, a non-binary Metis Canadian musician out of, uh, out of Toronto at the moment, making uh, tr- music in Toronto, but out of uh, Dunville, Ontario. I don't really know where that is. But uh, this is, I don't know, this track stuck in my head for a little while. Um, so I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.